Need custom-made images, videos, and more for your next campaign? Discover Shutterstock Studios, offering end-to-end creative solutions and content for major brands and agencies. With most productions worldwide on pause, Shutterstock Studios is your secret weapon for getting the content you need. Learn more at Shutterstock.com studios. Welcome to the Pop-Up Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Susan Sandler. Together, we'll discover the latest and greatest in experiential retail, marketing, and pop-ups. That means fashion, retail, restaurants, art, and entertainment. You're going to hear about new business models, creative strategies, and the latest technologies available that make pop-up sales and marketing effective for brands. Terrence Charles is the executive director of events and brand partnerships for Hearst Fashion Titles. He is also a co-partner of Allied, an employee resource group whose mission is to support Black, Indigenous, and people of color and make sure there is equal and fair representation and opportunity at the company. Prior to Hearst, Terrence was an independent consultant whose clients included Havas Worldwide, Town and Country, Artsy.net, and others. He has held various positions in his career in creative services and marketing departments for lifestyle and media brands, including some of my favorites, Tori Birch, Vanity Fair, and Ralph Lauren. And he was an on-air personality for the Learning Channel's Date Patrol show. Hi, Terrence. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Welcome to the Pop-Up Biz Podcast. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. (laughs) I am sure that you have some great insights and stories to share with us today about your work in live events and sponsorships. But before we dive in, I just would love to know a little bit more about you. Um, Are you originally from New York? What brought you to the fashion and lifestyle business? Sure, sure. So yes, I I grew up uh, in the suburbs of New York, Hudson Valley area. Um, I went to college in Connecticut, and actually, I was pre med when I entered college, um, and realized I didn't want to be a doctor, um, but I wanted to really more pursue something in the creative field. I always liked magazines and just the idea of advertising. Um, so went in as pre-med and yada, 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 left with a BA, uh, in art. And, uh, one of my first jobs was actually my, after college, my first internship was at Mary Claire, uh, on the editorial side, uh, basically being the closet boy, which means, you know, uh, uh, trafficking the samples, uh, and making, calling them in and getting them ready for shoots, et cetera. Um, and then my first quote unquote real job, AK pay job, I worked for a small PR and advertising boutique agency uh, that no longer exists, but they had some great clients such as Max Mara uh, and Henry Bendels at the time. And I didn't even know what PR meant or what it really was. So I feel like I really learned uh, the industry uh, working at that small agency because I had to wear many hats uh, there. So yeah. 
Well, I can totally relate to that. I started my career in public relations as well. And I always mm -hmm. tell people that I got my first master's degree at Burson Marsteller Public Relations because <laughs> they taught me how to write and how to You're do right. research. And then I got my second, you know, master's degree. But um, wow. So you were one of those like brainy, left brain, right brain, smart, creative people. Oh, that's that's fabulous. <laughs> I'm, I'm jealous. <laughs> Thank you. Um, wow. So. You brought your creativity to the forefront, and I'm sure that you have been involved in many memorable events over the years. Yes. Um, what are some that, that come to mind? You know, my audience loves to hear about, you know, what went right, what went wrong as they start oh. to think about their own strategies for both in real life and, you know, digital and virtual events this year. Right. Yeah, no, um, totally. So, you know, th there's so many. Um, some are more obviously memorable and others I, I find out I've done and I'm like, oh, I forgot about that one. Uh, I would say probably earlier in my career, uh, fashion shows were quite memorable just because there is so much time and energy and money spent on them. Um, and if you've ever been to a fashion show or seen one, you know it's over in 10 minutes or less. Uh, so I, I always thought those were interesting. Just again, uh, the amount of efforts that go into them for such a short period of time. Oh, and, and the anticipation. And I remember spending like hours, you know, getting ready, getting there, standing in line, and then it's over. <laughs> yes, yes. And I mean, yes, just the seating assignments alone can throw one over the edge. So um, <laughs> memorable for both high highs and some low lows, I'll say that. Um, but I think, you know, for me, when I think of memorable, you know, I think it's the ones that are tied to some sort of awareness, charity or cause. Uh, I have been fortunate enough that uh, uh, several of the events I have executed um, have uh, benefited some sort of organization. Um, I would say probably one of the first ones I remember uh, that I was, you know, proud of, let's just say, um, I was at Vanity Fair at the time, and we partnered with Dior uh, to host a fundraiser uh, for an organization called the Brand Aid Foundation, um, which was a nonprofit. You know, it's like a global adventure that aimed to use micro marketing to help solve the problems of uneven global uh, income distribution. Um, and it really was to support local artisans. And the ones that we had targeted specifically were Haitian artisans. Um, and it was hosted. Uh, by uh, Diane Lane and Paul Haggis. And, you know, it was just, I think for me, just to show what a brand's power can bring to light. So obviously working at Vanity Fair, they, on the editorial side, cover a lot of, you know, news and stories uh, that uh, they bring to their consumers, uh, their readers. But uh, on the event aspect, uh, you know, I thought it was just really powerful because obviously we had raised money and just awareness for these locals artisans, uh, which I just thought, you know, was was something powerful that, you know, you can do an event, not just for, you know, an event sake for celebration, which of course we also do, but um, also to raise awareness and causes, uh, you know, that may not get uh, the spotlight. What was the consumer experience on that one? So that one was purely invitation only. Um, that was during, uh, it was an event that we did uh, the week uh, leading up to the Oscars. Uh, we used to do a series of charitable events um, leading up to Sunday night. So that one was around 200, 200 250 people. Um, but again, invitation only. I would say in terms of consumer 
uh, programs or events uh, is uh, we worked with, again, also at Vanity Fair, uh, we worked with uh, the Museum of Contemporary Art uh, in Los Angeles and Jeffrey Deitch, uh, mm-hmm. major Jeffrey. curator <laughs> art. Yes, lovely, lovely man. Uh, yeah. And we worked with him uh, to basically... Uh, secure commission three artists that uh, Cadillac actually supported. They were our sponsor um, to create murals for the West Hollywood Library, uh, which was just being built at the time. Um, and it was, you know, Shepard Ferry, Kenny Scharf, and Retina. So three, um, you know, A-list. Yeah, not a bad lineup. <laughs> not a bad lineup. And what I love loved about that was to your point about what was the consumer benefit I you know the murals as of the last time I was in LA which was a few years ago were still up and this started we put them up in 2011 I believe so it was truly these works were a gift to the city uh to the city of West Hollywood um so anytime you drove by um the library you could see these beautiful murals and I think you know that that's just you know, something that's very indelible and, and special. Obviously, we also did custom content in magazine and we did an event to celebrate with the artists. Um, so, you know, I think programs like that always jazz me when it's touching, you know, different points uh, of exposure, whether it's, you know, you're reading it in book or online or, you know, you can experience it in public, whether that's through an event or something as public as uh, as as murals. That sounds amazing. And you bring up a good point, which is that media companies, media brands have an interesting position in that they have to work with and for their advertisers and Mm -hmm. make sure that all of those objectives are covered as well as provide content and and a touch point for readers. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think depending on obviously what brand you work with, will advise or guide you when you're doing experiential of any sorts, you know, what makes sense. I, I do feel strongly that when one does an event and if you're doing it for a brand, um, you know, you want it to be as authentic as possible. So when I was at Vanity Fair, you know, we would also, we would always uh, oftentimes get a request to do fashion shows. Um, and not that Vanity Fair is not fashionable, but it's not a fashion book. I would say go to Harper's Bazaar, go to Vogue, go to GQ. You know, that is not our bread and butter. That that's I, It just feels a little inauthentic. Can we do a fashion event with a designer and a conversation? Yes. Um, so I, I think it's just really knowing, you know, what your core values are and what you know, for us, when you're working with a media company, what's the core values of the editorial aspect of it? And how are you able to bring it to life um, and bring brands along as partners, sponsors, what have you, uh, to bring their messaging alive so uh, they can coexist, in a, again, in an authentic way? Yeah. And it feels like in more recent years, you know, media companies have been working with influencers and incorporating things like pop-ups to sell products or, you know, fitness mm-hmm. workshops and demos. I mean, does it feel like it's changed a little bit? I mean, to a certain extent, yes. I mean, obviously because of the pandemic, you know, and, and what that looks like for anything IRL, uh, you know, I feel we've gone from IRL to URL. Uh, and hopefully, you know, sooner rather than later, uh, we are sort of, if, if we stay on the same trajectory, there will be a world where at least we're doing a hybrid, if nothing else, where we are able to gather. But I think, yes, definitely in terms of, you know, influencers, I, I think, again, for at least when working with a brand, it depends on what their objectives are. And, you know, I working at a media company, 
I always say our first influencers or the best influencers are editors because they were the originals and they're the ones that are giving the POV and why our audience, our readers continue to go back to L. Again, I think when when talking about media, of course, you know, whether it's fashion or news, you can get almost anything you want to know by Googling, correct? So why why does someone go to an L.com um, or, you know, or any of the brands? And it's it's for that voice, for that authentic, uh, authentic voice. And I think, you know, outside of our editors and their POV, when we work with influencers or, or you know, notables, let's just say, um, they have to align with our, our brand as well. Uh, you know, they have to be in the same vein as our editors in the respect of the same tone and, and, and sort of their point of view, again, whether it's Elle or Mary Claire or Harper's Bazaar in, in, in my case, um, and whether that is to, to your point, uh, sell a product or promote a certain brand um, or make an appearance at, let's say, an event. Um, but yes, I, I, ultimately, though, I, I think for us, it always just has to be on brand, whether it's you know our internal um, influencers, aka our editors, or if we're uh, working with whether it's influencers or celebrities um, uh, or talent of that nature. Right. So, you know, I'm just thinking about the role of your editors and all of this. And I think the word storytelling Mm -hmm. is getting a little overused right now. How do they accomplish storytelling um, in these pop-ups and event environments? Like what forms does that take, you know, other than the book? No, no, totally. And I, again, I think it really depends on what's the story we're realistically trying to accomplish. What are we trying to say? You know, is it a shopping event? Is, is that the story? So then it's our editors giving their expertise on, okay, I'm in this store, we're working with this brand. And for this season, I feel like X, Y, and Z are, are the trends of, of, of the season. This is what you should be buying. You know, if it's, you know, we do a lot uh, with women's empowerment, you know, and what does that look like? That's, you know, if, again, if we're doing a, a real, uh, whether it's virtual or IRL event, you know, it's identifying the women uh, that have that story of empowerment, whether they're female founders, whether they've overcome something, and we've covered it in magazine, and now we're having uh, a conversation about it. Uh, so it's more about the programming. And then I think, you know, on my end, when it comes to the production and, you know, the logistics of that, you know, I- I'm always obviously thinking about, you know, what venue makes the most sense, uh, you know, what's the tone of it, the decor, the visuals, you know, and then we can go as granular as, you know, the music, the catering, again, if it's that sort of event. Um, so I think the all of those things uh, when it comes to events, virtual or or uh, real uh, real life ones, it, it, it's all it's a story we're all trying to tell. And I know for me, you know, when I'm concepting, I try to think, you know, in my head, you know, well, what what do I want the guest experience to be? What do I want them to take away from it at the end of the day? So if it is a pop up or let's say a retail event um, for both the guest and the brand. Obviously, you know, we want to expose the brand to an audience and for that brand, we want them to uh, have sales. 
Um, and for the guest experience, we want them to, you know, go to this L event or whichever brand I'm working on and, you know, have a good time, maybe introduce them to something they didn't know or were aware of, whether that's the brand itself or a certain product um, or interact with our editors. So, again, to your point, yes, I do think the, the term storytelling uh is a somewhat saturated because they feel like everyone, their grandmother can be a storyteller. But I do think when it comes to obviously when you're working with a media uh, brand and then you're trying to bring that uh, brand to life, uh, by definition, there is some sort of story you're wanting or having to tell uh, by default. Uh, so it sort of makes my job easier. Um, but, you know, challenges too in terms of ultimately what's the story we're trying to offer up. And you can fully leverage the reach of that storytelling and of those events across so many platforms because you're media companies. You know, what new technologies are you most excited about these days? Yes. No, yes. And we, we're, yes, very grateful in that respect because, you know, it, back in the day, as they would say, it was just it was just the print. It was what you either got in your mailbox every month or, you know, got in on the newsstand. Um, and then, you know, then we had our website and that was another channel where we could reach audiences uh, and different audiences. And now it's, you know, a true 360 in terms of obviously print online the dot com and our our social channels and i i think you know those three are let's just say our core and we're not necessarily reaching the same person uh on each channel which is great uh because obviously that broadens our our audience uh and our messaging but you know it, it's i think uh the smart you know and whether it's media or a brand i think what all audiences want is the newness and something different. And so again, it's not just about taking your content that may have been in print and repurposing it on your website and on your social. Um, it's taking maybe part of that content and how do you repurpose it on the other channels? Um, you know, I think also in terms of newness, uh, for us, you know, it's, you know, not being the, the social editor by any mean and not speaking for her, but you know, what, what's happening with TikTok, which is, you know, has really just blown up, I would say over the year, you know, Clubhouse is the new shiny social toy, let's just say, and, you know, seeing how that platform matures and, you know, how we can you work on that platform again to reach newer audience and also, you know, a different way to get our content out there. So I think, you know, it, it's a big job for our editors, um, but I think they all do it very well. Um, and it will just be interesting to see as we move forward, especially, you know, in this, in this moment of, of still, you know, stay at home, so to speak, you know, how are we messaging uh, and reaching our audience in, in new and different ways? Can we find uh, L? chats on clubhouse i have not seen it uh for l mary claire or harper's but i i'm sure the editors are talking about it and then on my end uh since i'm on on what they call the business or publishing side you know we're looking at it in terms of okay what can we build on that platform let's just say uh along with other partners uh uh so stay tuned for that but it, it's, it's it's something i just think um, any brand, again, whether it's media or consumer, um, you, you just have to see, you know, you have to explore all avenues. And again, some, some platforms work better for you than others. Um, uh, and just knowing your brand and, and being able to use that platform to make certain, again, it goes back to 
being authentic and makes sense for your your core brand. Exactly. It's such a great opportunity, though, to build awareness and a personality for the media brands while supporting your advertisers and those brands. I mean, that it's a real win-win, I think. Yes, definitely. And I think, you know, again, it's the alignment, the, you know, the synergy of why do brands still, you know, advertise with, with, I'm going to call it what we call legacy media. Um, and I think the reason is that, you know, on the print side of it, of course, you know, there's, you, you cannot, no matter how, what high quality laptop you may have or the newest phone, um, the quality of an ad in a print page at the size it is, is, is it's hard to duplicate. Um, so, you know, there is that aspect of it and, you know, print is still, you know, we are still getting print advert people who want to advertise in the print. The question is though, you know, how do we secure and keep that advertising and, you know, that, that want that people still want that tactile print uh, experience again, not only just looking at ads, but, you know, reading the content. Um, but then again, how do we take that brand along all of our channels and all of our journeys? So digitally through custom content, socially, uh, and then, you know, IRL uh, and virtual events itself, experiential. So, uh, and it also depends on always, you know, what, what one might do for a Chanel or a Louis Vuitton, you know, we're going to possibly do something different um, for, you know, a, a, a beauty brand or a F&B food and beverage, um, you know, so, you know, a daily harvest, you know, it's something different. But again, it's identifying what the consumer wants and wants to experience and obviously the objectives of, of the brand itself and what's their messaging at any given time. Certainly, certainly, I would think so. I'm curious, have you done any partnerships or sponsorship events mm -hmm. with a retailer, you know, in store? Yes, yes, uh, 110% yes. And they have uh, ran the gamut in terms of anywhere from a true selling event. We need people to come into the store and shop. Um, and then, you know, we create a theme around that, whether it's the holidays new season, have a, a special guest come in uh, to talk about the collection, et cetera. Uh, I've done, uh, when I say private, you know, like for those who have the real estate to do it, I've done cocktail parties and private dinners, um, uh, again, with talent or to raise money for fundraisers, uh, for organizations. Um, you know, again, I think what's interesting or what will be interesting is all of those things were pre-COVID, right? As we, again, hopefully see a little bit light at the end of the tunnel, you know, what does, what does that retail experience, what will that retail experience look like? Um, because we all have gotten so used to uh, purchasing online. And uh, again, I'm not saying that neither are going to go away by any means, but it's just, I think, a recalibration of the balance of what that looks like and how, uh, brands will get uh, people back into store, both for obviously for uh, shopping experiences, but also in, in terms of events and what that will look like. And I, to be honest, I, I don't have an answer. Um, I do think, though, and, you know, we've heard this across the board is and I know as just as a consumer, what is what is going to get me out of my home uh, and into a brick and mortar store 
and I just need outside of uh, something I, I, I need. Um, and I think, you know, those that will uh, do well are those that are, you know, working on what that looks like as a consumer experience because the it, ultimately the consumer has I mean the consumer they always said came first but I think now more than ever um it's not just oh there's a sweater I really want at x store I'm just gonna go in and buy it I can I can get it online uh and not only at that store there are other channels that probably also sell that sweater um so it, it really is going to be about how are you putting the consumer first not only on uh your um online channels but obviously in person to get to garner uh you know that customer back into a a brick and mortar store um and i do think events will eventually be a part of it definitely yeah i mean i was just going to say that the trend or the fact that experiential retail was preferred certainly by millennials but also by the majority of shoppers had been established before the pandemic i mean we were already seeing the impact of that you know negatively on traditional retailers that weren't stepping up to the plate and offering a real kind of appointment shopping or reason for people to come into stores, you know, limited edition opportunities. Um, That was all happening before the pandemic. So I I think you're right. Those companies that can step up to the plate now are in a better position to come back. I mean, people are ready for in real life experiences. Are your advertiser partners feeling optimistic about it? They are. It's funny. I think Often, uh, at least some of the conversations I've had is they're looking to us. So what are you thinking? And I always say, (laughs) you know, in terms of as the producer of the event, like I do not have a pandemic crystal ball. Uh, As as much as I would like, Dr. Fauci and I are not tight. So I am not certain. (laughs) Although although you would be a good one for him because you understand the science. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. I did. Yes, I would have to I would have to go back to my old textbooks. But yes, no, but you know, I think again, I, what I've been telling our brands uh and even internally, uh we are looking at second half of the year um after Labor Day cautiously and uh and exploring, you know, if if we stay on the trajectory in terms of, you know, what's happening uh health-wise and what the government is telling us obviously all within guidelines and only going to move forward uh, if the guidelines are there and, and everyone's comfortable. Um, but we are exploring, uh, you know, second half smaller, everything is smaller. Um, and, you know, again, within uh, the health, I'm going to say the health laws, so to speak, um, because we have to. And then similar to, I remember this year, uh, this time last year, you know, this is the anniversary where most uh, things were closed, et cetera. And we didn't know. And we were still thinking, okay, we're going to be at home for a few and things are going to be quiet for a few. But we still had to think of, you know, September, October, because again, we just didn't know. And I think, you know, I'm, I consider myself somewhat of an optimist, uh, optimist uh, realist. And uh, that said, you know, I still have to think of the future and the future for us right now is second half with the hopes that we will be able to do stuff. And then if not, then, you know, I roll over to the first half of 2022. I I think, you know, at least for me, that's, that's how I envision uh, what I have to accomplish and achieve uh, to offer, you know, not only hope, Uh, but also just to be ahead of the game. So when we are able to pull the trigger, uh, we're not caught, you know, 
blindly that that we will be prepared um, because we've we've already you know laid the foundation with the hopes that we'll be able to create something. Well, you're known in the industry for having a great sense of creativity and style, of course. So I have no doubt that, you know, your plans will come to fruition. Um, Okay, so speaking of style, I have to ask, you were a style coach on the show Date Patrol. So what was that like? Like, how did that happen? It's funny. So I actually went to, I ran into someone on the street I went to college with. Uh, And we were friendly in college, but, you know, not close friends. And we exchanged information. And then a few, I think, months later, she knew a casting agent uh, who was casting for the TLC show uh, What Not to Wear. Uh, And because I'd written a fashion column in college, she just thought I'd be a perfect fit. Um, I auditioned. I made it to the top 10, yada, yada, yada. I did not get on What Not to Wear, but the casting director remembered me and um, offered uh, another position on, uh, it was actually a British show um, that they were bringing to America and calling it Date Patrol. Uh, so that's how uh, it was very happenstance in terms of, you know, I, I was working at, uh, say, Cashmere at the time, so I had a full-time job, um, but they, um, say, was kind enough to allow me to also sort of do this side experience. And I, I thought it was it was a great experience in the sense of uh, working with people um, and their closets and figuring out, you know, what works for them. There are so many people when it comes to shopping and we've all heard, we all have those friends who quote unquote hate shopping. And I've just never been that person. I, I enjoy going into stores. I enjoy, you know, just seeing, not necessarily buying, but, but just seeing, you know, what's out there. And so in terms of that experience, I, I, some of uh, the other co-stars I'm still friends with. So I, I met some great friends and then just in terms of, you know, being on television and working uh, with people I would have never met uh, was just overall a, a great experience uh, and glad I had the opportunity to do that. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a good conversation starter. <laughs> oh, wait. First of all, I love the fact that you ran into your friend on the street. I mean, that is such a New York story. And that's one it's, of the things right? that makes New York so great. You actually <laughs> exactly. walk down the street and run into people. Yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly. That's, no. that's awesome. Um, no, I, yeah. that, that was a lot of fun. And you probably picked up, you know, a lot of pointers and new skills about being on air and all of that. Definitely, definitely. Again, I also realized... I probably didn't want to do it as a career per se, because especially with something like that, it's, I wasn't an actor. You're playing yourself, so to speak. Um, and I don't think I could, my, my personality, I don't think I could aud- go to auditions all the time playing myself <laughs> uh, to quote unquote, get a role or a position. So uh, again, I'm, I was grateful for the experience. It was an, a, an awesome time. Um, but, but I'm happy where I am as well too. So, yeah, you have to really keep that fueled and, and upbeat even during trouble, troubled times. Um, you know, as I'm, as I'm sure you do in your, in your job today. Um, so do you turn to fashion and creativity to keep yourself going? And I, I think, you know, for me in terms of like things I enjoy doing, I enjoy, I think fashion in terms of to your point, the, the creative aspect of it, the beauty of it. Um, I've always said, though, even though I have fallen into these roles, you know, working for fashion brands, um, I don't have to be in it 
all the time, 24 seven. I, I like fashion. I'm not fashion. I think that's, that's one of the things that I've always been cognizant of in the sense of, I try not to let any of my positions or the brands I work for define myself. It, it is something I do and brands I enjoy working for. But I think especially when you're in the fashion industry, people have a lot of assumptions of what that means. Um, so, you know, for me in terms of in addition to shopping, which I, I, I truly do enjoy, but you know, it's, it's going to a, a great exhibition. Um, it's, you know, seeing a great movie, which, you know, used to do in the theaters now is on my couch, which I also enjoy still. Um, you know, it, it's, it's going to, I, I used to love and I still do and will do it eventually traveling, um, that, you know, that I find, uh, very inspiring and just seeing different things. Um, it, you know, it, I think that's, those are the things that I enjoy and I think, you know, give me sort of quote unquote relief, um, out, outside of, you know, my day to day of what I do, uh, work-wise. Yeah, I totally relate to that. It's funny. I so enjoy giving brands and especially emerging designers and brands a platform, you know, to, to pop up and tell their stories and meet new customers. And I can't tell you how many times people over the years have said to me, you know, why don't you design something? Why don't you create a line? And I'm like, I I'm not a designer. <laughs> you know, it It's never even crossed my mind. <laughs> exactly. And the same on the flip side in terms of, of uh, you know, yes, I've, I've done extensive experiential moments, events, etc. Um, but I don't want to do your wedding. I don't want to do an anniversary party I don't want to do a bar mitzvah like I think there are people who do those amazingly and uh well like uh it, it's it's just a, I think a different type of experience um I the experiences I again uh enjoy and uh feel strongly about are to your point just working with other brands and you know what are their objectives and you know needs um and then you know, icing on the cake is if there is some sort of philanthropic um, charitable element to it as well. I, I, I think those are always great. Again, nothing wrong with anyone's wedding or anything like that. It's just that's not the type of uh, experience that I, I would want to produce uh, personally. So I get it. I, and I think that's a good segue. I would like to hear a little bit about your role at Hearst um, as a co-partner of the ERG. It sounds super interesting and probably challenging at times. So, you know, fill us in a little bit more about the mission and, and how it plays out there. Sure. So, I mean, so Hearst uh, started uh, ERG's employee resource groups uh, in, I believe, 2019. Um, and essentially, uh, an employee resource group um, are groups uh, that that uh, have a specific theme, for lack of a better term, uh, for those who feel either underrepresented um, or have a common interest. Uh, so it can range from there's the Hearst uh, Parents Group um, to Hearst Black Culture. Uh, there's Asian American and Pacific Islanders. Uh, there's a women's group. Um, LGBTQ plus, uh, and I am a co-lead of what we call Allied, uh, which is all about allyship. So how can one be a better ally to, uh, you know, basically underrepresented people, specifically black, indigenous and uh, people of color? You know, we try to seek uh, the, the mission really is to 
support people of color and make sure that there's just equal and fair representation and inclusion at the company level. Um, but, you know, in terms of practice, you know, we try to build empathy and understanding just through candid conversations and education about race um, and to inspire allyship, advocacy and action. I think, you know, again, I it was started in 2019 and this was, you know, pre-pandemic, pre-George Floyd. Um, but there was a need for it. And I think obviously what we've all gone through, uh, last year, um, there was even more of a need for people to talk about race, um, and realizing that certain people just have certain privileges and we all have different privileges, um, some more than others. And just being aware of that and, and what that looks like. Uh, and you know, it's, it's something that I'm even still learning about. I mean, I'm, I'm black and I'm queer, but I've had many privileges uh, afforded to me, and I, I'm very grateful for that. But at the end of the day, and I've said this before, you know, whether I'm wearing a hoodie or a bow tie, I'm, I'm a black man first and foremost. Um, so, you know, and what does that look like in, in this society? So um, it's, been, it's been a great experience to have these honest conversations uh, amongst colleagues um, about race and, and their journey uh, and, and, you know, what we're dealing with both on the micro level, meaning, you know, it could be work related or, or, or the macro level, uh, in terms of what's happening, you know, in the country. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's been, uh, both selfishly rewarding, meaning I've learned stuff about myself, um, as well as I've been able to meet and connect with others who, um, realistically just based on, you know, my department, et cetera, I may not have known or, uh, been able to experience. So um, I, I've been very uh, grateful for the opportunity. And it's it's been, I think, uh, a, a great, especially at this time uh, of what we've been going through, uh, a great um, organization. And just the fact that Hearst has these affinity groups and support them. So um, I think it's a testament to uh, the company's, you know, um, Hearst Magazine's uh, efforts to uh, support diversity uh uh, and empower it. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been very good. Yeah. It's a great example, I think for other companies out there and also for potential candidates, you know, who want to work at Hearst to know that that exists. Exactly. I would, I, to be honest, you know, being, uh, in, uh, a position where I would have to hire people, uh, throughout my career, I was always curious, like, why aren't I seeing more brown and black people? And is it they don't think there are positions here? They don't think that they would be welcomed? And I I don't have the answer, but I I do know that, you know, you can't be what you can't see. Uh, So I do feel like, um, you know, my representation and having more uh, people of color represented and others, so to speak, uh, in managerial roles are key. Um, and it, it, it will attract, you know, just a more diverse pool of candidates, uh, versus, you know, I, I do think in the past, whether it's the fashion industry or media, um, you know, it, it, it it's a very, uh, I don't want to use the word exclusive, but, a, a let's just say a, a small industry in terms of, Hey, you know, someone, and of course you're going to recommend them because you know them and you know their work, et cetera. And, and that's just life, uh, in, in, in that respect. But I, I think where it becomes flawed is when you realize the people that are being recommended and there's a constant thread of, uh, similarity, sameness, uh, in terms of whether it's race or sexuality or even gender to a certain point. So, you know, 
how 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 do we rectify that uh, again? Because uh, you know, with diversity, and not just in our industries, but in any industry, you know, it's only and we've seen it. Uh, it only helps the business bottom line in terms of success um, and commerce. So. Um, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I hope that the momentum continues there at Hearst and everywhere else because it, it reached such a high point, you know, between last summer and and the rest of the year. And I just, there have got to be ways to keep that message going and to encourage people to continue reaching out. Exactly. It can't be, this, is, this isn't a trend. Um, it, it needs to, to be the new normal, so to speak. So yes, I, I agree. All right. So I know that you're looking forward to doing some traveling when things start to open up and feel safer. And um, I would go shopping with you anytime. <laughs> oh, there you go. It's a date. <laughs> I feel like that's what we that. need to do. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love a brunch followed by a shopping moment. So we can oh. dine a little and then we, we go shopping. <laughs> okay. What, what neighborhood are we talking about? Uh, oh, I, I could do most. I, I, I'm a I'm a, I'm, I'm a downtown guy. So anything below 23rd, I'm fine with, I, I mean, unless oh. we need to hit Madison Avenue. So, but I'm, I'm a well, below 23rd kind of yeah, guy. There's always that. Okay, perfect. Yeah. I'm, I'm a downtown girl as well, but I, do, <laughs> you know, I like to go with people if I'm venturing like way to the Lower East Side or way mm-hmm. to the West Side. So yeah, that, that would be yeah. really fun to do. Um, Thank you so much for spending some time with me today and sharing some insights and stories. I really, really enjoyed talking with you. No, same here, Susan. Really appreciate the time and the conversation as well. Thanks for listening to the Pop-Up Biz Podcast, where something new is always popping. For guest ideas or to innovate your next pop-up, email me at susan at popupsummer.com. Also, head over to our social media channels on Facebook and Instagram at popupsummer. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to your Apple Podcast app, scroll through the episodes, click on five stars, and leave a review.